This Week in Startups is brought to you by User Testing. Real-time video feedback, real fast, from wherever you work. User Testing. Real human insights. Try User Testing free today at usertesting.com slash twist. LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Go to linkedin.com slash twist to post your first job for free. That's linkedin.com slash twist. Terms and conditions apply. And our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist. Welcome to This Week in Startups. We have an amazing show for you today. We have the CEO of the Aura Ring. If you don't know the Aura Ring, they're selling hundreds of thousands of these products. It's making millions and millions of dollars. And the Aura Ring tracks your sleep and your readiness, kind of like a Fitbit, but probably a little more dope. It's an independent company, and we have the CEO on the show today. But before we get to that, I thought I would check in with the insanity coming out of Facebook yet again. Here we go again. If you don't know, attorney generals from 44 states have urged Facebook not to launch a kids only, which means 13 years old and under version of Instagram. And in a letter sent to Mark Zuckerberg on May 10th, attorneys from these 44 states urged the Facebook CEO to abandon plans to launch a version of Instagram for kids under 13. The letter was submitted by the National Association of Attorneys Generals after BuzzFeed News first reported in March that Facebook was planning to launch Instagram for kids. Uh, in the letter, pretty straightforward, Facebook has historically failed to protect the welfare of children on its platforms, I would argue, and adults, we'll get into that. The attorneys general have an interest in protecting our youngest citizens and Facebook's plans to create a platform where kids under the age of 13 are encouraged to share content online is contrary to that interest. It appears that Facebook is not responding to a need, but instead creating one as this platform appeals primarily to children who otherwise do not or would not have an Instagram account. Facebook's response, a Facebook for spokesperson said the company has just started exploring a version of Instagram for kids and said the company is committed, committing today not to show ads in the product. Quote, we agree that any experience we develop must prioritize their safety and privacy and we will consult with experts in child development, child safety, and mental health, and privacy advocates to inform it, the spokesperson said. We also look forward to working with legislatures and regulators, including the nation's attorneys general. Um, Google actually owns a service, YouTube for Kids, and um, there are ways for children to lie about their age and access the main site. I, I actually use the uh, YouTube for kids in our household, it is incredibly well groomed. I haven't seen anything even close to being crazy. It's a whitelisted app. Um, yet in 2019, YouTube reached a $170 million settlement with the FTC and New York Attorney General over claims it illegally earned money from collecting the personal information of kids without parental consent, allegedly violating uh, COPA. If you don't know COPA, that's a Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Following the settlement, YouTube said in a blog post that it will limit data collection on videos aimed at children, regardless of the age of the user, which makes total sense. And, um, you know, the situation here is, do you trust Instagram and Facebook? The answer to that is no. 
You should not trust this company. They have been caught with their hand in the cookie jar over and over and over again. So it's a, it's a company you simply cannot trust. And there's a long list of fines that they've gotten that are absolutely horrendous. Cambridge Analytica, another scandal. The list goes on and on. Their groups product, which outed uh, gay people who were added to groups without their permission. Facebook has the worst track record of protecting privacy and in general, thinking about their users. And this will become an app for grooming children. You know that uh, child predators will get on the app. It is a recipe for disaster. And children should not be on social media. In fact, anybody who uses any form of social media will tell you that it is a negative more than a positive in a many instances in their lives, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, etc. These are really gnarly places that can cause anxiety, feelings of inadequacy. And I would say we'll look at this historically in 10 or 20 years, like the jewel. This is the jewel releasing pineapple, pina colada, blueberry cheesecake, whatever flavors those horrible individuals launch targeted at children. This is the exact same thing, arguably worse, because kids, I guarantee you, will be targeted on this platform and attacked, and I guarantee you they will commit suicide. I know it sounds like I'm being hysterical, but the statistics are the statistics. Adults and teens are killing themselves, uh, are committing acts of self-harm, are becoming just tragically obsessed with their bodies to the point uh, of uh, eating disorders. You as a parent need only look at your own usage of social media and the detrimental impact it's had on your life, on our society, on our public discourse, to know that subjecting your children and our children to social media at a young age is insane and it's abuse. Now I know, again, you're gonna say this is hysterical, but for somebody to do this, like Zuckerberg, it is only in his self-interest. He's thinking, how do I prepare these users for a lifetime on social media? And we, as parents, should be thinking, how do we prepare our children for a life off of social media? This grand experiment has gone horribly wrong. Facebook cannot even control the policing of Nazism, uh, white supremacy, Holocaust deniers on their platform. Why on earth would we trust them with our children's attention? The attorneys general, in this case, are 100% right. Don't trust Zuck. A retired FBI assistant director and NBC national security contributor, Frank Figlazzi, I think I got it right. Um, he said, Instagram for kids. We can't even keep extremism off social media for adults. Why don't we just open a Las Vegas casino for children and call it a day? He's not wrong. And um, the Massachusetts Attorney General, uh, Maura Healy, Facebook has repeatedly failed to protect the health and well-being of children on its platform, Instagram for kids is a shameful attempt to exploit and profit off vulnerable people. I'm leading a letter to Mark Zuckerberg with 44 AGs to demand they abandon this plan. Uh, Marianne Williamson, you may remember as the crystal uh, lady from the Democratic debates. I mean, absolutely my favorite. I am a huge Marianne Williamson fan. Uh, this would be up there with one of the worst ideas in the world. Um, she is not wrong. Uh, Facebook had its messenger kids uh, since December 2027. 20, Parents set up the accounts and have a suite of controls. They claim they don't collect data, no search uh, visibility. And why would you trust 
Facebook. In 2019, the FTC imposed a $5 billion penalty and sweeping new privacy restrictions on Facebook, the largest fine for privacy ever. That alone, of all the things we've discussed, should negate them from being able to do this, let alone common sense. In 2017, the European Commission fined Facebook $110 million for providing incorrect or misleading information during the Commission's 2014 investigation under the EU merger regulation of Facebook's acquisition of WhatsApp in 2016. Cambridge Analytica scandal resulted in another huge fine. And in 2009, they got fined $9.5 million for its Beacon app program. And I think there was double to 20 and they're under a 20-year audit. I'm searching for the most charitable take here, uh, and I can't find it. Um, you know, to claim that kids are signing up and therefore we should make uh, for Facebook anyway and make this, that is not, that is not a logical statement. That's like saying some kids got, you know, paid some adult to buy them beer or cigarettes and therefore we should let them smoke cigarettes. Sorry, wrong. The least charitable take, the science is clear. Social, social media has a detrimental impact on people's mental health. Uh, certainly that affects children and teens massively. I am not letting my daughters onto social media uh, anytime, maybe when they're 16, I think might be a reasonable time, 17. Um, but I, I don't care if I'm the last parent to allow my kids onto this. Uh, Zuckerberg, you're a disgrace. You should be ashamed of yourself and you need to go um, meditate in the woods and, and take a deep, deep look at yourself. You have behaved horribly uh, in your running of Facebook and this is amongst the worst ideas I've ever heard in the technology industry. And it's an even horrible idea for you, Zuck. That's how bad it is. Okay, stick with us. Are you launching a new product, developing a new prototype? Maybe you're rolling out a new campaign? User testing lets you see, hear, and talk to your customers to understand how they experience your brand, products, and services. Put yourself in the customer's shoes with real-time video feedback the user testing human insight platform allows you to target your exact audience, ask them any question or give them a task to perform. How interesting is that? It's a tech platform that connects brands with their target audiences in order to get feedback on any experience. Testers can get paid 10 bucks for their time. These users aren't doing this to get rich. No, they're doing it because they really want to help make your products and services better. So watch, listen and observe their reactions so that you can connect the dots and keep improving your products product and service. You'll get feedback within hours and strengthen the relationship with your coveted customers. User testing is used by startups and the world's most innovative brands from all trails, Grammarly to Microsoft and Capital One. Here's a testimonial. Chubby's is a men's casual apparel brand that gained valuable insights by asking some of their customers to explain why they love Chubby shorts. They also asked for new product suggestions to guide their product roadmap. Think about how brilliant that is. It builds fiber between you and your customers because they feel heard. And we all want to be heard in this life. Experience what your customer experiences by using user testing. Request your free trial at usertesting.com slash twist usertesting.com slash twist and get the fast human decisions you need to make more informed business decisions at scale hey everybody welcome back to this week in startups my guest today makes this ring i'm wearing no we are not changing the name of the show to this week in jewelry this is the fabulous aura ring that i am holding in my hand uh, just a miracle of hardware and sensors it's incredibly light it's incredibly cheap or i shouldn't say cheap affordable in price 
Um, it's well constructed, and it is uh, something that basically disappears when you wear it. So why would one wear a smart ring? Well, the ring lets you know how your body is doing, and instead of just giving you what my Fitbit or your Apple Watch might uh, get you, the software is designed to give you an idea of your readiness and your restfulness and how prepared you are to take around, take on the world. I started using these uh, years ago. The first version, I'll be totally honest, was pretty bad. The latest version that somebody, uh, one of the advertisers who uh, was uh, recently uh, bought ads on the program, sent me it as a Christmas gift. And I said, wow, wow, I forgot about Aura. And I put it on, and I've had an amazing experience. It is a fan-frickin-tastic product. And the CEO of Aura is with us today. His name is Harpreet Singh Rai. Did I get it right, Harpreet? <laughs> you got it right. You got oh, it right. Thank God. You know, Almost like, as tough as your last name. Exactly. <laughs> now you know what I go through. So you heard my little preamble. You weren't at the company when the product was very 1.0. And in fact, it launched at the TechCrunch 50 event, which I co-founded back in the day when Mike Arrington and I were in speaking terms <laughs> and friends, actually. <laughs> not, not, not for very long. In fact, um, he was a guy who started TechCrunch. Uh, but you uh, joined as the um, president of the company four years ago in May of 2017, became the yeah. CEO in July of 2018. How did you come to uh, become the CEO and uh, president, then CEO of Aura? And then tell me, um, how is the company doing today? Yeah. Um, well, look, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show, Jason. And uh, excited to be here. And uh, obviously appreciate the, the kind words on, on the product. It's it you know it definitely takes a village to, to as they say yeah uh, to hardware to is hard <laughs> hardware is hard for oh sure. god is it ever uh, no look i um uh, i got to the company and probably you know on paper maybe not a straightforward way but at least in my head it it still all makes sense so um i did study hardware in college i went to university of michigan um studied electrical engineering and specifically studied mems and so, you know, I was in school graduating around 2006. What are MEMS for the audience who don't know? Yeah, MEMS is microelectronic mechanical systems. Um, I like to think about it as basically sensor design. Most mm. sensors today are made using, you know, principles of MEMS technology. Miniature and, machines, I think, yes. is how it used to be explained. But now people use the word sensors. Yes, yeah. So, you know, my senior design project was an accelerometer or, you know, something that tracks motion that I think got more popular first than the Nintendo Wii before Fitbit and step trackers. Um, and my well, master famously design, with the tennis, right? The Wii tennis, right. you would swing yeah. the arm and everybody was wondering, how does it know? Is it doing it through the camera? And it was like, no, inside there, there is some mechanism, some machine that tracks it. And an accelerometer, is it like oil in a tube or something back then? What no, was actually I doing it? <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, I think it, how you fabricate a sensor like that, right? Um, you have different level layers in silicon, and you can make certain parts of the layer almost like think of Tetris. And so if you had like two blocks with one block going across, and all of a sudden, this one block is really thin, like a piece of paper, if you move it, that paper is going to bend. And turns ah. out when that paper bends, there's actually an electrical signal it outputs. Um, and that actually is, is sort of the basis of an accelerometer. Um, and there are many directions in how you actually layer these things in a semiconductor lab is, you know, I think a lot of fun. It's like tiny Legos. And so um, that's what I studied in college, um, wow. believe it or not. Yeah. 
And you then went to work where to put this degree to work? Was it, yeah. did you, was Aura the first job? <laughs> no. Uh, well, I, 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 I had a lot of student debt. Michigan is actually expensive out of state. Uh, you know, and, um, I actually decided, you know, to go, I grew up in New Jersey. I think we were talking about it a bit before. And so for me, I wanted to be, you know, in the city, right? All the cool kids are in the city. Oh, yeah. You got to get over that bridge or tunnel. Exactly. Um, my sister was in the city, you know, older sister. So I had to be there. And so, you know, I think for me, luckily it was the finance boom and, you know, investment banks are basically hiring, you know, all types of people. And so I got a job in banking, investment banking, uh, one year, you know, my first year out of college and, and at Morgan Stanley and the M&A mm-hmm. group. My first year, I got totally worked, uh, you know, a lot like what you still hear the stories of, probably averaged over 100 hours a week. Um, and Would they pay you for that kind of sacrifice? Like I heard people were getting are getting now at Goldman 250K out of school. I, I, so first year out of school back then, it was like a 60K base. And if you were top of your class, it was 60K bonus. So like 120. Now you got to remember- 120 so, for working yeah. 80 hours a week. Yep. So you essentially got paid $60,000 hour, 60, twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Or like $30 an hour or something like that if you yeah. run the math out. Um, yeah. No. So I did, I did that out of school. And frankly, my first year gained 50 pounds, about a pound a week. Um, oh. Yeah, started losing some hair, you know, at the age of 21, 22. Now I wear a turban, so not that yeah. bad. You can't, can't see it. Yeah. Um, and, and frankly, I remember my friends coming to see me, you know, that I went to college with, and they're like, man, your skin is like looking like it's getting gray. Like, you know, you're just inside all <laughs> the time. Look, you're starting to look like a zombie. <laughs> yeah. It is true. They keep, they lock you in a building and you're ordering up food and you're sitting at a desk, working on a spreadsheet, building models doing decks and it's um it's a horrible life but you learn a ton right yeah. did you learn yeah. a ton i did i mean look in the, in the m&a group especially you know you get to work on you know live transactions you know multi-billion dollar deals you know big company buying xyz company so it's it's definitely a seat you know at, at the table to learn and um you know but it was the first time ever in my life that i'd get home from work and it was my first time you know full-time work did a bunch of internships and a lot actually in hardware as well um, and stuff like that in college, but it was my first time getting home and not being able to fall asleep. It'd be like two, three AM. I'm coming home from work. You'd think you'd be exhausted and I couldn't fall asleep. And so I started developing like mild insomnia. That's probably where, like where my interest with sleep started. My interest with health was started way earlier, mainly mm. out of just personal curiosity. I, I was a bad athlete growing up, you know, wanted to fit in, went to big public high school. Sports was a way to fit in, you know, back then and being smart wasn't necessarily cool. And, um, you know, so for me, I was just just a bad athlete. And I remember being so frustrated as a teenager being like, well, I tried this, I trained this way, I eat what these kids are eating, you know, but I work twice as hard to be half as good. And so I always thought, you know, my dad was a double E, my grandfather was a double E. So I was like, oh, these sensors, you can take these sensors and mm-hmm. learn about the human body and understand why I'm different. And then I can figure out what to do for me. So that's what always I sort of, you know, thought. And then I got distracted a bit with some student debt and you know, went into banking. And then, you know, after my first year, I, I left, you know, basically the week I got my bonus, um, like a lot of first year bankers do that sign up for, you know, two year program. And um, I went to a hedge fund. So I went to a $7 billion hedge fund called Eminence Capital. They've been around, you know, for 23 years now, still going strong, awesome team. Um, and luckily, I just got to learn there and, and much more manageable lifestyle. You know, luckily, so we were encouraged to work out, eat healthy, um, you know, oh, really? get sleep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, we had a gym in the office, you know, everyone. Did you see stuff. the whole Goldman, like, um, 
getting so many complaints from Gen Z and millennials joining the program that they now, like, yeah, they're like, yeah. okay, you guys can take a day off a week. You can have Sundays off. And they were like, no, we, we actually want weekends yeah. <laughs> off. So I guess they're just going to have to roll with the punches, right? If millennial, if, the, if this next generation does not want to suffer and advance quickly, they can advance at a more reasonable place and have a slightly less compensation and just double the number of people, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. What's your take on that when you saw it? Man, I feel like the industry has been going through that for a bit. Um, I do think they're doing things as banks to try to make it more tolerable. Like, you know, before even the idea of mandatory day off back in 2006, yep. 2007, that, I, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't going to happen. So at least one, you know, they're getting in the right direction. Hopefully they can get there and be like, hey, if you work 24 hours straight, like we make sure you don't do that two nights in a row, right? Mm. I think that's that's when some like but i mean when you were working 24 hours straight what were the last four to eight hours like in terms of productivity man it's sort of hard honestly to assess it because you're so out of it exactly like it's diminishing returns i mean listen i like to work hard but I, i i find if i don't get my six to seven hours of good sleep my performance is just not crisp you know and i think that's where the aura is just such a magical uh, project a product in that it you're not just telling people like their skin temperature or heartbeat i, I think you have all that stuff included yes yeah but you start yeah. with this concept of readiness so you when you open the app it's like here's your sleep score and you know in the in the 80s is really good yeah. and then here's readiness what is readiness <laughs> well you you said it you kicked it off right you know readiness is your ability to take on the day and it's not just ready physically for the gym. You know, it might be ready for, frankly, doing a really, like, you have to host people a lot, right? You've yeah. been doing this for a decade, right? You got to be sharp on your, or more. You got to be sharp on your feet. You got to be creative, right? If you're a PM in a software app, like, you're probably thinking about, oh, wait, should I dice the data this way and actually recut this? And I now I'm realizing the UX flow is wrong, right? Mm. Um, so I think, and if you're a financial analyst crushing spreadsheets, like, hey, you know, there's lots of mistakes you make. And there's like, you know, hundreds, thousands of columns and rows, right? And so I think, you know, ready, ready is, is exactly that. That's the purpose, the idea behind readiness. Now, how we calculate it, you know, we look at not just one day of data, one, one night of bad sleep, you can sort of suffer through that and be okay the next day. We look at a two week average of sleep, two week average of activity, the prior night of sleep, the prior day of activity. And then we look at a couple of physiological signals and how they change from your baseline. What was your heart rate? You know, your lowest resting heart rate relative to your norm. What was your change in heart rate variability versus your average? What was your change in temperature and respiratory rate? And we use those, call it eight things, and we come up with this overall readiness score. And that's something we patented, um, something we found a lot of customer resonance in because just looking at one night's sleep, it's like, oh, what do you take? But then when you have three bad nights of banking, right? Like that's the, hey, you're going to go on a third all night yeah. in a row? All right. And nope, no, you know, readiness score would probably show like your know (laughs) failing that test pretty bad growing your business takes more than offering a popular product or service that's important but it takes more than that it's essential to have the right people in place to ensure your company operates smoothly and has the potential to grow and expand or as we say in our industry scale linkedin jobs helps you find the right candidates for free Hiring is a major part of my strategy at launch right now. We just hired a second producer, Justin, doing a great job. A curriculum designer, Cuddy, I call him Cuts. I always give people a good nickname. He likes that one. And 
I gotta get some more researchers in here. You guys know what's happening in my world. Things are blowing up. You know where I find these great candidates? I find them on LinkedIn Jobs, of course. And you can get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of over 740 million professionals. And really, LinkedIn's got that global reach. You can fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills, and motivation you need. Then with simple filtering and management tools that are all built into LinkedIn, you can easily review, rate, and hone in on your top candidates. All of those amazing filtering tools are just built in. When your business is ready to make that next game-changing hire, you're going to find the right person on LinkedIn Jobs. And now post your job for free. That's right. LinkedIn loves This Week in Startups. They always give us a great deal for you. Visit linkedin.com slash twist. Again, linkedin.com slash T-W-I-S-T and you can post your first job for free. No strings attached. They know you're going to love it. Once you get that first hire and you see how easy peasy lemon squeezy it is, you're going to go for a second and third. Terms and conditions apply because they're giving you something for free. This was one of the things that was a little confounding for me and disappointing when I first started using the ring because I don't read the manual, nor do I read any of the tooltips. I just want to turn around and see everything. But it took me a minute to be like, oh, they're going to give me a score later on. Um, How do you know that readiness equals performance? Have you done studies? Do you have anything inside the company where you work with universities or do actual laboratory experiments? To know Tons. that readiness is like actually a valid, you know, uh, number. Yeah. And what and how do you do that? I guess so. I think big question. Yeah. Um, and at some point, we'll connect the rest of the dots and how it got to the company. But yeah. I think you're starting to see it already. Um, readiness. Um, a couple things. One, you look at the theory, right? So there's lots and lots of good science papers and theories saying, "Hey, your HRV changes, or your resting heart rate changes, or if you get six hours of sleep." Um, you know, so you're, resting you're, heart rate is when I'm asleep. Cor- correct. We look at it when you're sleeping Got it. Um, and your lowest resting heart rate. And then we look at that. Why is lowest resting heart rate so important? Physiologically and also a little bit with the autonomic nervous system, you know, the vagus nerve that connects your brain and your body. Um, your lowest resting heart rate is something that requires both physical and mental relaxation. So you typically reach like, you know, if you're the research shows that if you're actually well recovered and well rested and sort of a, you know, normal pattern, you'll reach your lowest resting heart rate sort of midway through the night. Right. Mm. Now, if you're super stressed, you're working super late, or you worked out late, or you drank, or you ate a ton of food, your resting heart rate will actually happen much later. Uh, you know, you uh. it'll ha- it'll take you 78 hours to process that alcohol or so that digestion, I, alcohol, getting in a fight with your spouse, Works. your yeah. boss yells at you, or you got a big project tomorrow that could actually keep you away from the lowest heart rate, resting heart rate. Correct. Yeah. It's just a sign of stress. And then uh-huh. same, same with heart rate variability, mm-hmm. right? I think heart rate variability is, is a great measure of the autonomic nervous system. Um, that's sort of showing this, you know, stress on your, your, you know, your central nervous system on your body and your brain. And so I think those two are, are really important to look at. Um, and then sleep, you know, we, you know, we do think that it's not just one night of bad sleep. Um, you know, it's that compounding nights of bad sleep that really hits you. Mm. And then also, you know, if you've been inactive, if you're less active than normal or even more active, right, you're going to be tired. Like, hey, you just ran a marathon. You know, <laughs> that's, I've that's done a that. Lot. Yeah, it's just three <laughs> yeah. or four days of your body feels Recovering. like you got hit by a Mack truck. So the heart rate variability... That's something we've just been able to start capturing on these devices, whether it's an Apple Watch, Fitbit, or Aura. 
Correct. This is a new sensor or the sensors have become precise enough to pick this up? The latter, yeah. So ah. heart rate variability is is actually the variation in every single heartbeat. So you the and I are The time between them is how it's explained to me. Is that what it is? Correct. Yeah. Got the it. inner beat interval is, is, you know, think about it sort of, you know, your heartbeat over time is, you know, look like a sinusoidal wave pattern, right? Um, and so, you know, time is sort of on your X axis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if, if you think about that, the space between each beat, if we're sitting here taping this podcast and our 60 beats per minute, that's the average over the minute. Now, the question is, what, what's the variability within that minute, mm. right? And, and that is heart rate variability. Less ter- variability and more consistency is better? Opposite. It's counterintuitive. Opposite. Yeah. So actually, you want more variability. What? Um, That's yeah. so counterintuitive. Why would more be better? Or do we not know? Um, so the, I think theoretically, may, maybe I can explain it physiologically speaking. So when you're in a high variation, a high heart rate variability, you can sort of adapt to any situation. So part of your body's functions is like, imagine like we're sitting here and all of a sudden, like, you know, a cheetah jumps in the room. Right. What do you need to do? Right. Fight or flight. You need to drop everything, you know, you need uh, to push, you know, Nick to the ground and you need to make, you know, haul for it. Right. So they get Nick, right. Unfortunately. Right. But for you to respond that way, you need to be in a little bit of a flow state. You need to have the variation. Mm. So that high variability, right, allows you to react and adjust quickly from both your mind and your body and not freeze. Now, if you are, you know, if you're really sort of anxious and stressed, it's like every little thing irks you. Right. Um, and that like, you're actually, you feel like rigid, you feel like stuck, your heart rate is actually very, very, you know, that inner beat interval is very consistent. Beep, 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 beep. Whereas like heart rate variability, when it's different, it makes you more nimble. It, you have Correct. better cardiovascular ability, maybe more resiliency because yep. you're, you're dealing with many different situations, kind of like cross training or a lot of different fitness theories are. You don't want to just do four exercises. You want to try 400 different exercises and get all different le- types of movement going on your body. Pre- pre- precisely. I think the best thing I heard on that, do you know what the best exercise in the world is? Have you heard Walking? this Walking? No. No. It's the one you're not doing, right? Oh, it's, what it, a great one. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you want, that, you want that ability to adapt, but no. You know, it's uh, interesting. There is a whole philosophy of working out, which is for guys who get older, um, or anybody who gets older, I suppose, but I was listening to it on the, this is the maybe it was on Tim Favris or something, that they try to get older men to try new exercises, crawling on the ground, moving, balance beams, just anything different so that your mind and your body gets just better at adapting. And when you don't, you get this negative cycle of totally being at your desk all the time. But at some point, the, the sensors were able to pick up heart rate variability. And is that how we know when heart attacks occur now or something is happening? Is it the heart rate variability, the one that yeah, there, some sort of indication something's wrong. There's a lot of things that go into that. Um, I would say early research has been showing that basically lowered heart rate variability. You're right. You know, is a very good indicator of a of a heart attack or cardiac event. Mm. Um, now, specifically, there's lots of different cardiac events, and turns out, like you're sort of getting, why can we see heart rate variability now? That's a really good question. It's really the granularity of these sensors, and I can talk about sort of why it's a ring and why you know, how we focused on that, because there's a lot of key details in there that are pretty technical, but would be love to dive into. Um, you know, I think you, you can train these data sets on anything. So if you can actually get that raw pulse waveform, 
you can start comparing that raw pulse waveform to an EKG and then start looking at EKGs of, hey, what do people that have AFib look like? Well, what do people who look like, you know, some congestive heart failure look like before that event? And you can start to train. And, you know, we even showed this with with COVID, what, what do people who look like they're getting, you know, who've gotten sick look like? What are, what are all their, what is that pulse waveform data and your temperature data and all the things we derive from our respiratory rate, heart rate, heart rate variability look like for this subset of people? And you can, you can train these data sets. You can train these models against, you know, reference data. And, and sleep became a driving force for you raising money, I understand, in the last round or just the product evolving. I saw that also with our investment in Calm. Yeah, when they went, you know, they they owned meditation, but they also then started to own the, the sleep portion of that. Tell me a, about you know the impact sleep has had, and also the anxiety produced during the pandemic, and for many people, not all, obviously, some people were thrilled, uh, but you know, Trump's presidency here in the United States caused a lot yeah. of anxiety, uh, caused a lot of insomnia, and so did the pandemic. So I'm curious, during your tenure, did you see? those things manifest in the aggregate data of Aura's data set. You must be able to have seen yeah. when the pandemic and the shutdowns occurred, many sleepless nights. Tell us about what you saw in the aggregate data. Obviously, you're not looking at individuals. T totally, yeah. So uh, being able to see, you know, de-identified data, no one's name attached to it, it, but across the whole database. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, very interesting things. I think counterintuitively, when the pandemic started, for sure. Um, but we actually published this on our blog, The Pulse, where, where we actually showed that um, as the pandemic went on after a couple months, people were actually getting more consistent patterns, huh. right? Um, so they're actually sleeping better for most people. Now, huh. some people, some people obviously were not. Now, wait a people, second. Yeah. I think through that theory. Why would people be sleeping better in a pandemic? I think well, I less variation. Answer. You're not going yeah, out. You're right? not going to work. You're not going to dinner. You're not going out drinking and partying and uh, going to the movies or something like that. You're you're leading a more sedentary, isolated lifestyle. Yeah, consistent, right? Uh, consistency. So more now, sleep, perhaps even more sleep. I was doom scrolling till four in the morning. God, I look back at my my pandemic was a complete mania. <laughs> We definitely saw that with a subset of, of yeah. I'm in that like, subset of like, yeah. does not go to sleep, keep scrolling Twitter and looking at COVID stats. Now we're we trying we to figure been, it out. <laughs> we we should look at it again. And in the election, I want to get back to you because we actually showed their collective, you know, loss of sleep to the U.S. Um, on that. But um, on what's happening now, you know, we we actually haven't gone through it lately. We should probably do it as as it's now dragged on for over a year. I I bet probably most are probably like you now. You know, you were describing mm -hmm. yourself early on, like. As this is dragged on, people are getting pent up. People want to get out. And so I think, you know, after this much, this much isolation, I wouldn't be surprised if people's data has changed. But it's a good, re something good and topical to do now. What we did see during the election, we actually, uh, you know, published this on our blog too. And we showed that I think the average American got 45 minutes of sleep, less sleep that night. You know, so you start to multiply out like, you know. Yeah. 300 million people. People are not going to be, it's actually, people are not going to be, when people say it's not going to be a productive day at the office, they're right. Exactly. Yeah. So no, look, I, I think we, we saw fascinating data and, and getting back to sleep, you know, really this idea of readiness. I think, you know, when we, when Aura was launched at the launch festival, right? No wearables were really doing sleep, right? Fitbit hadn't launched sleep. Apple now does time in bed, but they don't really do sleep. They don't do sleep stages. They don't do even heart rate variability consistently. Um, throughout the day or night. Um, 
But, you know, at, at the time, no one was really doing sleeps. It was just steps and just active heart rate was sort of the thing. Like, yeah. how high can you get your heart rate or, you know, when you're running? Um, yeah. You know, just like chest straps. And yeah. I think for us, you know, the approach was like, hey, sleep's this whole other area of your life. And by the way, 99.9% of people, even the investment bankers, will try to sleep tonight. But mm -hmm. only 10% of the U.S. is actually going to work out today. And maybe 15 to 20% will work out this week. Now 40% pay for gym memberships or pre-COVID we're paying. But um, sleep is a consistent thing you do. It has an immediate impact on how you perform and feel physically, mentally, emotionally the next day. Mm -hmm. And frankly, if you look at it as a country or as a society globally, we're getting less sleep, you know, probably Why over the last are we time. getting less sleep? Is it just the, it's the devices. It's got to be people taking their iPhones and doom scrolling and playing that last game of threes or listening to that last podcast. Or, you know, Netflix, right? Netflix used uh, to say their biggest enemy was sleep, right? Yeah, you're right. You know what, yeah. man? Binge watching is killing people. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, people will start thinking about binge watching like they do social media, like it's almost like the new cigarettes. You must get sleep to be ready for the next day. It's, uh, it's worse than, I think it's worse than cigarettes. You know, lack yeah. of sleep has been shown to early onset of Alzheimer's in particular. Great research out there showing less deep sleep is leading to the early onset of Alzheimer's. Um, huh. You know, if you get four hours of sleep, um, basically your, your glycemic response, your insulin levels are going to be nearly, you know, 50% as worse. So you get right? fat. You get fat. So, so actually the hormones. That's what was side, happening to you when you became yeah. a fat investment uh, banker investment yeah. banker it was because of lack of sleep yeah and there's no and way to there's no way to to diet or exercise out of that if you're you know if your body is physiologically just not this this one food the properly. hunger thing and insulin response so i actually more interested on in that i thought this was fascinating so you have two you have two hormones really that control your hunger and then how full you are so so you know so ghrelin you know determines sort of how hungry you feel leptin is determining actually how full you feel after so if you get four hours versus eight hours of sleep, your ghrelin levels double and your leptin levels go down by half. So you're going to be, you're going to crave twice as much food and you're going to feel half as full, right? So your, your body's training you. It's like, why would you, we're the only species on earth. Matt Walker says it's such a good point. Only species on earth that self, you know, deprives themselves of sleep. And so your body is like, hey, you're, you're, you're trying to kill me or, you know, something's trying to hunt me. I'm like, you know, so I need to eat a lot of food, right? Like, uh, yeah. You're going through this fight or flight response. Ah, that's fascinating. Yeah. If you're not sleeping, it's like get more food in the system because you're, it's probably evolutionarily that you're being chased by a tiger or a pack, another village that wants to kill your village or something. It was, it was that cheetah. He's still chasing us. That was in the room earlier. It's time for our crowd's deal of the week. Right now, you can join our crowd's investment in Launchpad. Launchpad, according to the deal memo, does AI-powered autonomous manufacturing incorporating 3D printing to efficiently combine multiple materials into complex products. It's revolutionary. Launchpad is backed by Idealab, the startup incubator co-founded by famed VC Bill Gross, which has launched over 150 companies ranging from robotics to clean tech. You can get in early on Launchpad and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash twist. I recently wet my beak and placed a small bet on Cyabra, a company that uses AI to uncover disinformation and expose fake news on social media. Speaking of wetting your beak, did you know our crowd investors were able to get in on some of the best IPOs of 2019 and 2020? They benefited from companies IPOing like Beyond Meat and Lemonade, and some of our crowd's companies have been acquired by buyers like 
Intel, Nike, Microsoft, Oracle, and Uber. With our crowd, accredited investors can invest directly and easily in startups early before they IPO or get bought. The investment professionals at our crowd have already invested hundreds of millions of dollars in over 200 companies with dozens of exits. Again, the R Crowd account is free. Just go to OURCROWD.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Let's talk about the business of this. Hardware businesses fail at a rate uh, at least two or three times software businesses because you're not only in the hardware business, you're also in the software business. And you're not only in the software and the hardware business, you also become in the retail slash distribution business. So you really have to take on three, three... businesses concurrently, a software business and a hardware business and somehow getting them to people. The product is mainly sold direct to consumer. Am I correct in that? Direct to consumer online. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the only way to buy it or can you buy stores? uh, No, we haven't done any retail stores. Um, You know, we haven't done any like, you know, wholesalers or anything like that. We've, we've, Mm -hmm. you know, even not even Amazon, we've kept it on AuraRing.com. Wow. And, and explain to people how you do the ring sizing, because this is yeah. a particularly um, delightful process. I thought it would be, you know, arduous. It turns out it's delightful. Yeah, look, I think just like Warby Parker, you know, if you want to try on glasses, right, like you get a couple sent to your house. So what we do is if you don't know your ring size, which most people don't, I didn't know mine either. Yep. We send a, you know, sizing kit in the mail when you order a ring, and then you get to pick out which size you are, you get you know, plastic set of sizes six through 13, figure out what size you are, and then you confirm the size and you you get a product that, you know, what we hear from customers is like, hey, this feels like it's just for me. Um, yeah. You know, it's not like I have to take links out of the watch. What do you have, 10 sizes or so? Uh, eight, six to eight 13. Sizes. It's really yeah. just in terms of aesthetics, you get a little box for people who haven't ordered one before. And it just has, you know, whatever, the eight plastic ones, you try it on and whichever one you want, you go back online, say I'm a size 10 or whatever it is, and you get it. And then I guess you have to throw that away. It feels a little bit wasteful, but I yeah. Mean, or give it to a friend. It. You know, that's ah, you can give it to a friend for when they do it. Ah, that's a smart idea. Yeah. Um, now the product is not cheap. Four hundred bucks, I think, is the going price. Two ninety nine to three ninety nine. We have a gold version and a stealth ah. black, matte black version that we charge three ninety nine for. Got it. Now, when you get to this level of production, because you're selling, I understand, hundreds of thousands a year now. Am I yeah. ballpark correct? Yeah. Um, these things only cost 25, 50 bucks to make, so you've got Ooh, a decent I wish amount. it were that low. Really? <laughs> oh, okay, I, it, it doesn't look like there's much to it, so I thought at, at scale, but um, you, you have some decent cost of goods, enough that you don't charge a software subscription fee, am I correct? Uh, we don't charge a software subscription fee, that's correct. So you bake into it, these things last, People wear them three, four, five we, years. You think? We have a two-year warranty, which I think the, every other wearable is basically a one-year warranty, by the way. Yeah. And then my Fitbit, I'm, I'm ready to just throw it away right now after a decade of using it because they just break too often and now they're yeah. charging for features. And I'm like, why am I paying a subscription and buying these off of you? It just, I don't know, maybe I'll get the Apple as well. But I wear both and I, and I like to have two different things. And I have the 8Sleep bed. So, and I'm an investor in 8Sleep, which is kind of nice because you get to get different, you know, versions of your sleep from different apps and then compare them. And it's pretty miraculous how accurate it all is. Explain to us scientifically how the Aura Ring knows how I'm sleeping. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the way that we do that is what's what's the ground truth? What's the reference data for sleep? 
something called a polysomnography right device. And so um, if you if you were to go in a sleep lab at you know Berkeley or Stanford right or UCSF, they'd strap you up to you know something that you'd have to wear in your head that typically has sixteen wires coming mm-hmm. off of it to your brain. And so what they're measuring is actually when you go to bed in that sleep lab is they're looking at brain waves and the frequency or the speed of the brain waves, right? And um, so, you know, they also look at, you know, heart rate, heart rate variability, respiratory rate. And so um, what we do is, you know, we have people in polysonography labs, right, just like you, you would, and we've done work at UCSF and other places, right? And um, you, you then actually have them wear the aura ring, and we look at all the raw data coming off of it. And then you start to train an algorithm, right? And, um, you know, the more data you collect, I think the better you can get. Um, and, you know, if you use machine learning techniques, you know, you can get pretty darn close. Um, so I think so is it my temperature of my body combined with my heart rate? Do you know my breathing through the ring? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We How see do rest- you know my breathing through a ring? That doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. Uh, yeah, or even like we've heard this before. Like, how do you know my brain waves? Well... So breathing rate actually in the pulse waveform, just like an EKG, right? It, pulse waveform looks pretty similar. You can you can actually see when you breathe in, right? Your chest compresses a bit, the heartbeat's a little bit, you know, quicker, and even the amplitude of that pulse waveform can be higher. And so you can you can actually see breathing re- rate pretty well. I think we published some stuff in our blog that probably within you know ninety three percent accuracy, assuming you have no medical conditions. Those people are a little bit harder. So we look at the breathing rate, we look at the heart rate, the heart rate variability, we look at the movement because we have an accelerometer and gyroscope in here. We look at the temperature sensors, as you mentioned, and then we look at that that raw pulse waveform data. And you train all that data against the polysonography data and the results. And, you know, I think most people probably don't know this, but polysonography, if I took your data from that UCSF lab and showed it to, uh, you know, a sleep score at Stanford and a sleep score at Berkeley... They disagree on probably 20% of the data. Well, were you in REM sleep or were you really getting a light or deep sleep, right? It has, so the standard error on the gold standard is about 20%. I think wearables, you know, right now are probably 10% worse than that gold standard. But so I think 24%, you know, 22% variability or something. Yeah, probably like 20. Yeah, uh, well, if the gold and, and standard. And why does it even matter? It doesn't even matter. It doesn't need to be perfectly accurate. It needs to be directionally accurate. Correct. So I know For- if I'm having a bad day, you know, compared to my good days, That's can right. you, were you able to tell if people were having COVID or close to COVID? Because there yeah. is a connected thermometer that every time you take a temperature, it sends it to, I think, the CDC. And there was this concept of the CDC, if they just gave these out for free or severely discounted them, made them a dollar to buy them at schools or pharmacies, and all that data was collected, we actually could know where outbreaks were happening for COVID or future COVIDs, if everybody's data on temperature was known, what would that do to the world vis-a-vis pandemics, colds, and just general health? Uh, I think it's huge. I think it's the future, right? I think you'd be able to see an outbreak happening, you know, way sooner, be able to have, you know, city by city, neighborhood by neighborhood type, you know, lockdowns to be able to quarantine and, you know, frankly, stop to spread a lot, a lot faster for the people that had higher risk in those areas. So I tracking think, and tracing would be built in, you wouldn't need to add any software or anything, you just know people's temperature and sleep patterns, and it'd be like, this is the sleep pattern and temperature and breathing of somebody with a COVID like disease. Yeah, we so we actually did a study on this. So we, yeah. we were the first wearable to announce a study with an academic institution during the pandemic and, you know, mid March. 
Um, we, we partner with UCSF. Um, and so we launched a study called Tempredict uh, in the app. And so we had over 70,000 Oura Ring users join. Uh, UCSF actually published the results, the first early results of that back in December. And what they showed was basically um, using the minute by minute. So we see minute by minute temperature data. And we have three temperature sensors in there. And by the way, Apple mm-hmm. Watches, Fitbits, uh, you know, Garmin don't, don't have those uh, temperature sensors in there. So we were able to look at temperature, respiratory rate, heart rate, heart rate variability, and sleep patterns, as you're mentioning, to see if people are getting sick. And what that study showed was basically, you know, for 76% of participants in the first early results, and we still have more coming out soon, um, that we could see a significant change in data three days before they felt symptoms. Which wow. is just incredible. So, you know, you could stop the spread, you could quarantine, you could you not could quarantine out. three yeah. days before you have symptoms. For when you think people, about it, yeah. for most people, if we have another outbreak like this in another country, you know, uh, the cost of a pandemic is going to be, you know, this pandemic is going to be, I guess, five to $10 trillion in a lot. printed <laughs> money and who knows about lost work and the impact of schools or whatever. We're talking about trillions of dollars in just one country. You could literally send everybody in the country an aura ring at scale, you know, for fifty billion or something. It wouldn't be that expensive, and uh, relative to the actual cost of cost, uh, the damage yeah. and, and and the incalculable. Well, I guess it's calculable. People don't like to admit that, but the, you know, the, the the tragedy of human death. And man, if yeah. the ring just told you like your ring turns red, you, you you might have COVID. Like, let's narrow your circle, or it just sends an alert. My God, that would have been great. How frustrating it was. Was it for you as somebody in this field to watch our pandemic response and how ineffective it was? And what do you think was most ineffective, which is another way of saying, if we put you in charge, what would you have done? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think aura rings. To, to, so look, I think for us, was it, look, it was tragic, right? I think, unfortunately, too, way too many people lost lives, way too many people lost their jobs um, and way too many people were infected. But I think this shows the power of, you know, technology like this in the future. I think for us, well, you know, it was frustrating. At the same time, we sort of looked at it as like, hey, last time we had a pandemic like this, the Spanish flu, none of this tech was around. You couldn't collect the type of data. So I think from a data scientist perspective, you're looking at like, how do I train these algorithms? Now is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So we can then prevent the next, you know, pandemic. And I think that's what we were focused on. And luckily, you know, I think that research, you know, from UCSF was so great. The DOD and MTech, you know, actually funded, you know, over $5 million of it. And, you know, MIT Lincoln Lab has been involved in the funding, you know. So I think, you know, some really good um, thought leaders in the space stepped forward and, mm-hmm. and did that. And luckily, we were able then to, frankly, you know, take the that early research and findings, uh, create an algorithm, which we actually spun up into an enterprise application. And and we call it health risk management. We were able to deploy it in tens of thousands, maybe more, you know, tens of thousands of people. Um, and, you know, even places like the NBA, we, we announced a partnership with yeah, the all NBA. the NBAs have, yeah. have aura rings. I saw that in the bubble. Yeah, what, WNBA what was that as well. Able, yeah. What was that able to do for them? They just knew people's temperatures? No, well, I mean, look, I think it, with all these tests, even, even if people are getting tested every day like they were in both the NBA, WNBA, and, and some of these other sports leagues, right? Um, you know, there's false positives, there's false negatives. And again, you could see from this data if you're getting sick even before you feel symptoms. So I think it, it gave people a sense of security. You know, if there's false positives, false negatives, you have another set of data to look at, which is super sure. helpful. And, and, and frankly, like most organizations can't afford to test every day. You couldn't even get tests in the beginning, right? 
Um, it's ridiculous. COVID. I mean, yeah. that was, I think for me, one of the biggest tragedies is I had friends who were getting tests from Taiwan, Hong Kong, yeah. Finland, other countries, and had at-home testing kits that cost 20 bucks each that were probably marked up triple because they were being brought in here. And yeah. our FDA, for some reason, the FDA in the United States or whatever forces did not allow mass testing at home to occur because it wasn't perfect. And it's like, it doesn't need to be perfect. It needs to be directionally correct so that if you do have a positive, you go get the more perfect test. Yeah. It's just ridiculous and, how and look I think, I think it's a hard it is a hard science right flus adapt we're seeing variations right now i think even the latest indian you know version that's going through there mm-hmm. some of the mutations there looks like you know not the vaccines aren't having as high effectiveness as they would with mm-hmm. some other strains and that's how these these flus evolve right they, they, yeah. they keep evolving and so i i you know for us as, as frustrating obviously as it is we just thought about how can we help and so mm-hmm. i think being able to be you know forward there Working with, you know, honestly, frontline healthcare workers was the first group that Tempredic study. We, you know, actually donated 2,000 rings and had a sponsor come in to donate another 1,000 rings to frontline healthcare workers, um, you know, that are out there in the hospitals across the U.S. to be able to do the study to then deploy a product and, and serve different organizations. But, you know, I, so we talked, the NBA gets a lot of publicity. What, what didn't was Las Vegas Sands. So we, 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 we announced, you know, casino workers going back to work, right? Um, you know, they don't want to be laid off, you know, so the Sands group was like, hey, we got to help reopen Vegas, you know, because otherwise we're going to have zero mm, revenue and, 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 lo- and lay people off. And so, you know, but they couldn't afford to test every day, right? Every single person. And so, you know, using our data, they're able to prioritize testing to the right folks. Um, or if someone looked like they're getting sick, hey, maybe you shouldn't come in today. Um, we actually made it so you could customize a notification as an admin, um, and you just saw aggregate data. So, you, you know, we got through all the privacy stuff, created some really cool frameworks uh, to do that. And so now, you know, we're seeing interest from a lot of corporations as they go back to the office. There's going to be variants, you know, every flu season, frankly. Do you see a, a time where a company could deploy these and say, hey, listen, you're coming in as a doctor. You're coming in as a card dealer, blackjack dealer. We need you to have a score on your aura ring of readiness of 70 or better, um, or 80 or better, or your average has to be 80 or better. Now, I know this seems Orwellian, but for a bus driver or a pilot, we already give them requirements of sleep. Sometimes they do it, sometimes they don't. We give them requirements for how often they can fly. I would love to know that my pilot on the plane I'm putting my family on is uh, has an Orwellian approach to this if i may <laughs> that they have to wear an aura ring and we need to know they're ready to fly has that this must have come up inside your organization what is the discussion like inside your organization and with other organizations about the line between personal privacy and you know being ready to do good work well, like i i don't think yeah. office workers need to i mean obviously it would be great but it would also feel orwellian but for a pilot or a brain surgeon or any kind of surgeon, this does not feel Orwellian Yeah. for them to be wearing one. What have the conversations been like for you guys internally about doing something like this? Because obviously you've talked about it. Oh, yeah. Look, we formed a whole ethics committee, a process, a framework. Um, frankly, we even joined um, the World Economic Forum has, has a panel uh, that they put together on, you know, IoT and creating trustworthiness in IoT devices. Because how you shared this data... Um, so a couple things we did. Everything has to be 100% opt-in. We never want to have anyone forced, frankly, even in that that pilot situation. I just think we're not there yet to take a stance on that. I think our, our big view is educate. I can tell you like, the passengers are. <laughs> no, I, I, I know. But yeah. I mean, you know, at the same time, 
I think rather than force people, I'd rather see them educate and understand. If that pilot understood, or or frankly, your Uber driver, hey, you know, six hours or four hours of sleep, right? You're you're yeah, it's dangerous. Rate. Yeah, it's dangerous, right? Your your chance of uh, getting an accident goes up. You Bus know, 20, driver, forty percent. Train yeah. conductor, truck driver, right? Truck driver. Oh my yeah. lord, no brainer. Yeah, and those so, are places where they're under. Let's be honest, they're under pressure to do more. These, uh, from what I understand, the Amazon drivers. There was a lot of controversy. Who knows how much of this is true in the fake news? But you know, they, there was some controversy that maybe the freelancers were going a little too hard, trying to deliver packages a little too aggressively to hit windows. And cause accidents, you know, yeah. and, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I, okay. So opt-in is one. Opt-in and is what one. Are the, and then what are the others? So de-identified, um, you know, right. figure out frameworks to share this data on a population level and empower the end user. So for example, our health risk management, um, you as the admin, I can't see that Jason's getting sick today. What I can see is, hey, of my group of 10 that's coming in the office, someone looks like they're getting sick today. What do you see, Jason? We want to empower you. You get a message in the app. Hey, got it. Go see Nick before you come in today. Give Nick a call. You can actually got customize it. that message. So it would be the same thing with if I had an employee who was suffering from mental illness, they go see the HR department. I don't know what mental illness they have. I don't know yeah. why they went to see the HR department, but I do know they're taking a leave of absence for two weeks. It could be their their mom died and they're grieving. It could be they're having panic attacks. It's not my job as the manager to know what the ailment is. Correct. It's just to know that they, they're getting help so they can get back in the game. Correct. Yeah. So I think we, we were like de-identified, create frameworks and ways to empower the individual, mm -hmm. you know, notify them first. Um, our team, I honestly credit off to our team through thinking all this stuff, mm -hmm. um, even putting an ethics framework together. I think anytime we looked at where you can potentially, you know, be, if we, we even have put in our contracts where like, if this data is used and then someone is terminated because of the result of the data, right? Like, you know, we're, we're going to, we, we have the right to cancel a contract because, okay. you know, we don't so, want people, yeah. if you think about it, that's how you create big brother. Now, yes. I'm not saying, you know, eventually we're figuring this out as a company. We don't have all the answers, but we've talked to lots and lots of these different types of frameworks and different types of companies. And you know, how we're are they? How are go. those companies? If you de-anonymized a company that was in, you know, the business of, you know, one person's responsible for a lot of people's safety, you know, like if so, if the ring let you know the person was on meth and on a bender every night, or you know, out drinking every night and just disregarded sleep, you kind of actually would want to reprimand or fire that person. So yeah. it's nice Honestly, that you want to take this stand, but. I mean, no, we've we've found more buy-in from companies because they don't want to get in trouble looking at this data either, right? Ah, so there's a concern about that. Exactly. So I think companies actually want de-identified and cool tools and frameworks like we've created to still empower the individual, right? They don't want to know what's happening to that in person, nor should they, right? Um, what they do want to know is, hey, empower that person to get help and get help faster, right? That's what they want to be able to do. So and you would be okay, theoretically, I love that you're willing to talk about this, because it's just such a well, great I don't topic. know if I said I'm willing, you just started well, asking me. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, anyway, we, we can make this hypothetical, right? So in, an, in the hypothetical example, just thinking out the, f the morality question here, if a person was struggling with alcoholism, was not sleeping, and they were responsible for other people's health, and their Apple Watch, Fitbit, or other device, let's just say a device, not your device, would know that, you wouldn't want 
them to be fired, you would want them to get a notification. I like this framework, they got a notification, hey, you're not, you're not you don't have enough restfulness and sleep to do your job properly. Please report to the HR department tomorrow. Yeah. And the HR department would tell them we just need to check in on somebody's suitability for being on the job, they're not going to make their shift today or tomorrow. And then there's an intervention where they just discuss it like, hey, listen, is the ring broken? Let's give you a new one. Or is the watch broken? We can give you a new one. Or is there anything we should know? Do you need a two week leave of absence to kind of tighten this up? There is a way to do it that's compassionate that doesn't embarrass the person that doesn't make them lose their job. But that does let them know your job is pretty serious. If you want to be at the yoke of that plane yeah. or that controller of that train, you you cannot get this level of sleep. We need to get a sleep level that's commensurate with the risk of, you know, the, the, the jo- doing the job poorly. Uh, I, I think that's exactly how we've and our team has come up with ideas of thinking about it and frameworks. You want to mm-hmm. empower the individual. What you want to do is right teach that person that like, hey, getting four hours of sleep five nights in a row means like you're at a really heightened risk for an accident. By the way, that's not just bad for the passengers. It's probably bad for you and your family. Yeah, because you're at the front of the train. Yeah. So (laughs) Conductor uh, and the pilot die first most of the time. Most of the time, right? So They generally go down with the ship. Let me ask you another tough question since we're at the end, and I always ask the hardest ones then when I got the guests warmed up, and you're so good. (laughs) Uh, You're so honest. I got an honest guest here. Um, Apple is particularly um, sharp-elbowed, should I say, with people who compete with them, they they do it with a smile on their face. But the the bane of my existence is that Fitbit and my health product, Apple Health Kit, or Apple Health, and Fitbit don't play nicely. I bought a third party tool, I spent 10 bucks on it to try to get these things to sync, it always breaks it, it doesn't work. Yours seems to work pretty good with Apple, but you're not making a watch. Yeah. And I'm curious, is your relationship really good with Apple because you don't make a watch? And how do you think about your relationships with the Googles, you know, and, and the Apples of the world, which have said, hey, we're going to own health. They both have said that. Fitbit's getting bought by Google, apparently. Yeah. Um, and they want to own health. Apple wants to own health. How does that, how do you navigate that as a founder? I'm, I'm curious. So, I, I mean, one, I think we play nicely with both of them. You know, we mm. distribute the apps on their app stores. We actually integrate with both, you know, Apple Health and Google Fit. Um, so I think we were like, you know, let's let's be open and neutral. Um, and in that sense, I think, you know, we're partners, right? Right. Um, I, I think because of our view first really on sleep and our focus there as a company, you know, it, it, we found it complementary. Just like you are wearing a Fitbit and you have an aura ring, we see that with so many Apple watch wearers, yeah. right? Um, and so I think for us- What percentage of aura wearers have a watch bulb, Apple watch? Don't know the exact numbers off the top of it's my gotta head. Gotta be what, yeah. a third, half? Probably I'd assume a third, yeah, maybe I 20, would think so because, you know, when you're elite enough and well-heeled enough to afford a watch, that's $800 or $600, yeah. you're gonna be able to afford the aura for two or three, or three or four. And they are complementary. They don't compete with each other. Which leads me to the next question. Is which is better overall to wear a watch or to wear a ring? And why? Is there some difference between what's being collected? Or are they both just really great ways to record? Is there is your ring finger better than your wrist or? Yeah. So the pulse, the pulse signal from your finger is about 100 times two orders of magnitude stronger than the wrist. Really? Um, I assume yeah. the opposite. That's so interesting. Well, every hospital, where do they measure your heart rate and your SpO2? 
Yeah, they do it on the tip of your finger. Yeah. So it turns out, you know how you can feel these arteries on the inside of yep. your wrist? Yeah. Right? You know, it's a lot of blood there. You can feel that pulse. You can't feel your pulse on the backside of your watch. It's, those arteries go to the palm of your hand. Mm. What's, what's interesting there, your skin is super thin. Those arteries are close to the surface. That pulse signal then is, two, you know, 100 times stronger wow. as a result. So that's something I, I actually worked on in college, got to mess around with some optics, right, and, wow. and, and, and wearables. And so that's, that's why I think for us that's so important. So when you start training this data, I'll give you an example. Right now we record, you know, we've said this before on podcasts, we, we actually sample at 250 hertz. The 250 times we're firing our LEDs per second, right, to get the shape of that pulse waveform. We do that eight hours a night, right, for about six nights, right? If you took the Apple Watch and you put it at 250 hertz or a Fitbit or anything, it would die in about an hour because mm-hmm. um, the pulse signal is so much weaker, right? And so the battery life would, would go kaput. And so as a result, we're, we're able to capture higher fidelity data. You know, I think there's a reason why our COVID data stood out amongst so many. You know, why, you know, both the NBA, the WNBA, UFC, NASCAR, Red Bull Racing, Las Vegas Sands, um, you know, have, have chosen to use our product and, and our algorithm there. I think you'll see some new stuff coming on the road for us from, you know, um, from actually on just sleep staging itself, updating our algorithm to, to even more accurate, the best that's out there in the field. And I think, you know, we're going to show that um, with this high fidelity data, we can create algorithms that are just a cut above the rest. And so, you know, while we started on sleep, um, and we think it's perhaps the most single important thing and how you start every day. We all arise from sleep every day. You, you know, your day starts out of sleep. You know, I think there's a lot more we're going to be doing in total health as we as we get into the future. Um, the ring right now is not super bulky, but it's not super thin. I have to take it off as an example when I type because I'm a fast touch typist. Um, do you see the ring getting thinner or staying the same and including more objects and then have you thought about any kind of embeddable technology? And, and if not, when do you think embeddable technology will happen? I'm not talking about, you know, a neural link in your brain, but it does seem to me that if this works this well, why can't I put something into the palm of my hand, have it surgically implemented and, you know, have a yeah. long life battery that, you know, gives me even more data? Yeah. Um, so I think uh, on the latter, you know, that's an expensive procedure, more expensive than you think. Even if you go today to get a loop recorder, right, which a bedside can do, you don't need to go under to do that. And they implant a little, you know, a little chip and right underneath the skin, you know, on top of where you're underneath the skin on top of your heart. That's like a four or $5,000 cost. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you look at, I think, the Medicare reimbursement codes for that, it's been How a while. different is that heart rate to everything else in the market, like watches and rings and everything? I mean, well, much more shown- accurate. Yeah, I mean, what we showed though is actually our heart rate and our heart rate variability overnight for every single heartbeat were 99, I think, 0.6% correlated with an EKG overnight. Uh, huh. So we're getting pretty damn close. So uh, there goes, it's, it's sort of yeah. like cameras, you know, people, were, I remember talking to Sergey Brin about cameras 10 years ago, and he was carrying a digital SLR. And he asked me like, what, what do you think a digital, uh, a phone camera is going to be able to do or digital SLR will be able to do that phone camera? And I was like, well, I don't think about this and this. And he was like, nothing. The software and the algorithms are going to make cameras and phones yeah. as good as, and, and they're going to get rid of digital SLRs. Only people with digital SLRs are going to, you know, and he's right. I mean, you can yeah. do all these cool, I mean, every year we get like a couple more couple, low yeah. light, the blur effect behind you, all that stuff just gets better and better. So yeah, I, I guess think, that, look, that's I, what it is, right? The I, algorithms of the software make up for the lack of fidelity of the sensor. Yeah, I think it's, think about it this way, you know, on any given week at Aura, 
we see more data on sleep. You know, just take take a half million users. I'm just throwing a number out there because we, you know, publicly said we've sold a half million rings now times seven, you know, seven nights. That's 300, you know, th- th- that's, that's a lot of nights, right? 3.5 yeah. million nights, right? So um, that's more than any, all the sleep labs in America combined mm. in a given week in one single place, right? So that fidelity, that data that you're starting to get as you start to aggregate more and more is, is super helpful. And those insights then can be, obviously really, really rich. So I think data, you know, data is the new currency, right? And mm-hmm. so I think there's there's a lot there you can do and you can keep training and seeing, you know, patterns in that data. So yeah, I think um, I, I want to get back though to one of your other questions. So, you know, do we think you can get thinner? Yes. And smaller? Yes. And, you know, I think also we've seen some people want bigger designs, more, you know, more fashion looking oh. designs. So I think, you know, I think you'll see us flex our muscles oh. a bit there in both Whoa. directions. Here comes the skew craziness. This is, uh, <laughs> Not I mean, that you crazy. know that Steve Jobs would be absolutely losing his mind over the number of uh, Apple Watch skews. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, we got how many sizes, how many styles, how many, cr- I mean, crowns. It just got so crazy. But I guess in this world, you know, it, you are a fashion accessory and this. Do you have any brand partnerships with, um, you know, a Gucci or a Prada or some tiffany or something and have people no, we, approached you about that yet or no uh, we've seen interest from all of them um, really yeah Fascinating. so i think you know i think you know how we do that how you figure that out as a brand right apple went and partnered who was it with hermes yeah um, for the for the for the wristband or well. i think at one point did a partnership with like tory birch if i'm not i can't even remember I yeah that's it for that. like the handles but i mean a, a really yeah. cool ring that i got the one with the flat top i don't know yeah. what that's Her- called heritage. Yeah. Heritage. heritage. I, yeah. For some reason, I thought it looked cooler than just round. Yeah. I like uh, the flat top. I like the heritage too. That's our most popular version. Oh, is it? Yeah. I wonder if people are going to use these as wedding rings, right? We've already seen it. We've already found. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. In fact, we, we get a lot of angry wives because they're like, my husband won't wear his wedding ring, but now he's wearing an aura ring. Like, <laughs> oh boy, yeah, but, you're in trouble now. Just wear it on your wedding ring. It's the same thing. I mean, yeah. and, and can you get them engraved? I, I didn't notice. We, we haven't done that. No, we haven't done any engravings yet. Um, hmm. You know, I think that's that, interesting that one too. Yeah, that could be pretty cool. It, the, the, op, the options are endless. But to your point, you know, Steve Jobs had had a point. You don't want too many skew bloat, right? So I think there, there's there's always those those trade offs you got to figure out as a company. Um, it definitely is a trade off. The engraving thing. I wonder how you know how you every time you check out at. Every time you check out at Apple, they're like, "Want well, it's engraved. And I'm always like, not as much as I want the product here in two days. So, yeah. you know. I haven't, I haven't pulled the trigger. What is it? It's like a 50 or $100 even on the AirPods. To get yeah. And I'm just like, I have a Sharpie. You know, yeah. I'll put my initials on it. Thanks. <laughs> Label maker. Yeah. And then if I give it to somebody, do I want it to say add Jason on it? I don't, I'm not so sure about that. Hey, listen, continued success. Thanks for coming on the program. Um, I know it's been hard and a struggle. And it's just great to see that you got to the other side. Any advice for hardware founders on, you know, as we wrap here, what what the yeah. secrets are to running one of these companies, or is it just uh, raise a sh- shit ton of money? No, I think we, we were the best. opposite. <laughs> I'd actually say the opposite. I, okay. You know, we started really small. You know, our seed was two mil. Our A we did in a couple tranches, about five six million each. Um, you know, and I think test and prove, right? Test and iterate. Make sure you got product market fit. 
you know, and when, when you have that, then I think you feel more confident to raise more capital. I think some of the hardware companies that went under, a lot of it was they raised too much too fast, right? Like ah. Jawbone raised a ton, right? I forget what they raised, like a billion? I love um, my Jawbone products, uh, yeah. Same. I, like I had the Jambox, you know, yeah. I, I think there were some cool stuff they made. I mean, they but, were so early to so much. Yeah. I love Hassan, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think even, you know, I don't know everything that happened, obviously, at, at any of these companies, but, you know, some some of them, I think, you know, Juicero raised a lot of money at one point. You sure. Know, I, I don't think it was completely bad. There's clearly people who love the product, but, um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of examples of hardware. I think you raise too much too fast. Your investor expectations are, are too high, um, you know. So I think I'd actually say, just like software, um, be iterative. The unfortunate part about hardware is it takes more time. Right. Yeah. You got to get the product. You got to qualify. You got to test all the components. You got to ship it. Then you got to test the damn thing. Then you got to load firmware, middleware on it. So, you know, it's like, it is like running three, four organizations in one. So be patient. But look, I think, I think we're seeing it come back, right? Peloton, I think really helped. You saw it now with Mirror and Tempo, a bunch of these other companies. Tonal is incredible. Tonal. Yeah. I just ordered the Hydro. So yeah. I have the, the rowing machine. It, yeah. It's I great. have the Peloton Tread, which just got recalled. recalled yeah. I think that was a little. Um, I, I, all treadmills have sadly killed children and pets. I don't think this was unique to them. I think they're just being super, super cautious, but I'm not sure any child or dog should be anywhere near a treadmill. This is like super Agreed. dangerous. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually think that they may have overreacted on their recall. Um, and I don't know, cause I don't think many, I, I don't, I'm not recalling mine. I don't think, they, I don't know what they're going to do to make it safer. Like I, I put a bumper on the back or something. I haven't gotten. Any I haven't clarity. spent that much time looking at it. So I thought there was an issue with like the screen dislodging on some of them. Like no, you, you the know, issue was, and there's tragic videos online. Kids will play with the treadmill. So what does the kid yeah. do? They put their hands on the back of the treadmill. Then they get sucked under the treadmill. The thing oh, moves man. so fast. One kid's playing with the speed, which is what I would do. And then you know, my little yeah. brother, which is what he would do, would be trying to grab the back of it or whatever, and they get sucked under it. And then the wheel is burning them. So there's been a lot of gnarly things that happen with treadmills. My rule is I unplug the safety key and yeah. put it in another location and I unplug it. And what they really need is a pin key. Just yeah. put a pin key on this and the issue's over. Then a kid would have to have the safety key, the pin key, the power. I mean, it would be three steps. You know, it's, tech companies get held to a, such a higher standard. You deal with a lot of people ripping off the idea and like doing bogus versions on Amazon. I see. I noticed when I searched one time, there were like lots of ripoff products. So those. Yeah, we we've seen that, but most of us have you know come and gone. I think you know really at least you know volume wise, size wise, or even capital now at this point after we've scaled, you know, been scaling. I think you know haven't haven't seen that too much. Earlier on, we definitely did, but uh, I know you guys have had multiple offers to buy, sell the company and I'm sure SPAC. How do you, how do you think about that? Is it, is a SPAC interesting for a company at your scale now? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we, we definitely get inbounds on it. I think for us, it's how do we figure out the right capital structure to deliver the most value for customers? And I think, you know, we, SPACs can add a lot of pressure being public. Can add a lot. I, so after a year of banking, I spent nine years at a hedge fund, by the way, before coming mm -hmm. to Aura. And so, like, you know, seeing that world, I think there's a time that's appropriate for it. I do like the rigor the financial markets give you. And, you know, I think, um, you know, there's something about a company that operates well, as, you know, when all eyes are on it. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, we're still pretty early in our story. So I think, you know, we, we've got a we, we've got a lot to iterate on, a lot more to prove and deliver more value to customers. And I think if we do that, then the appropriate, you know, stay private next round, go public, you know, you know people want to buy you. I think, you know, all that's open. I, I will say the M&A side, if you look at it, 
just in the last year, you saw Google close on Fitbit, Amazon launch a wearable, and pretty significant rumors that fair, you know, Facebook's trying to launch one too. Yeah. So if you if you look at this space, I think you sort of have Apple at like 50 million Apple watches in 2020. And then Fitbit, you know, at like 10 to 12 million units behind is the number two-ish, right? And so like, I think if you're everyone else in the space, you're like Google, Amazon, you're like, holy cow, this Apple Watch trend has continued. This is important. You know, health is a, you know, 10 trillion, 20 trillion dollar problem globally. Like we're losing this battle and we need to catch up. So I definitely think you're, you're seeing, you know, people realize like consumers want more of this, especially after the pandemic, you know, wearables numbers globally, you know, accelerated and consumer demands accelerating and the use cases are expanding. So as you mm. go from call it step tracking wearables 1.0 to, I think really understanding health wearables 2.0, you know, I think, I think we're in a really good spot and I think that's what consumers want. And that's what, you know, we're trying to focus on as a company. I could tell you, Ain't nobody wearing a Facebook wearable. Do not, sell your, do not sell your company to Zuckerberg. Or if you're going to, please first talk to Kevin Systrom, then talk to the WhatsApp founders because they hate Zuck after what he did to their products. And Good to know. I mean, also think about his, uh, they, they launched their own like video camera system, uh, like their own version of a Zoom hardware device. And people are like, yeah, we already don't trust you with our privacy. Hell no, are we giving you our health data or yeah. putting a camera in your house? And people said the Facebook portal is like an incredible device. I was like, you have to be a maniac to put your kids on Instagram for kids. Let Zuck have a camera in your house or give him. I mean, I think that's why he didn't win Fitbit is I I, I don't think he didn't pay the right price. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I think I think you're right because there was some merge. There was some like language in the merger docs there that pretty much suggested that there was another buyer. You know, I think rumors came out that it was, it was Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, yeah. It, it was 100% Facebook. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, really, you think that's going to pass scrutiny after you screwed up the election and, you know, can't keep hate speech or whatever, you know, off your platform and you're throwing your hands up about the president, like we're going to give you all this health data, probably not a good steward of data already. And health data is a whole different level. And uh, just from this conversation, I feel great that you're actually the one who's anonymizing and keeping our data safe over at Aura. You've been a great guest, really honest. Appreciate the time. Um, I know you're hiring right now. <laughs> so yes. where yeah. can people go to find out what jobs? Uh, well, I think just LinkedIn, but, uh, you know, yeah, Ring and OuraRing.com. O-U-R-A-R-N-G.com as well. Yeah. LinkedIn is just the best place to go. You get you the great screening system there and they target all the candidates. I'm a huge fan of LinkedIn's job portal. Uh, all right, listen, continued success. It makes a great uh, corporate gift. So if you're doing corporate gifting uh, in the yeah. in the fall, that's how I got mine. And I'm telling you, I give chocolates every year. I'm thinking like maybe for the big sponsors of this podcast, I'll start giving some more rings. Because when I got it, I was like, that's pretty sick. Like to give somebody a three or $400 ring for Christmas. I mean, listen, I know I'm important to a couple of the sponsors, but- yeah, that was uh, I was blown away, and I trust me, I remember the name of the fa of the company. I won't say it here. I don't want to, um, you know, without their permission, say they sent me this. But it was just a very touching gift, and it was like, oh, and, and it was just it's so nice because when you send it as a gift, you actually send the sizing kit, sizing kit. So it even and feels then they only, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming they only pay if they actually buy it. Yeah, right. Like so, if the person doesn't actually follow through, they don't follow through. All right, listen, uh, continued success and uh, congratulations. Sounds Thank like a you, great Jason. place to work. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Yeah.